Well, that was beautiful. So we're in week three of this new sermon series, Holding On to Hope. The reason we're doing this is because I told you a few weeks ago, every one of us is going to experience hardship of some sorts. We're going to experience suffering. We're going to go through trials and temptations. And one of the things that we know is that hope gives us the power to endure. The first week, we talked about how this is being recognized from people from all sorts of different disciplines, medicine, psychology, uh, economics. The the power of hope to get through a difficult situation uh, is incredibly important. And so we're, we're looking at how we can experience hope, how we can find hope, how we can hold on to hope to endure. One of the things I told you when we began is that uh, I I wanted to define hope for you in a very specific way uh, because a lot of times we misuse the word hope. We we say hope when we really mean wish, but but hope as it's understood both biblically as well as just uh, its true definition is is a confident expectation of future good. It's based in reality. Hope is something, you know, I think some of the examples I use, I, I... if I say that I hope to be a six foot ten professional f- basketball player, that's not going to happen. There's no, uh, that's not a confident expectation that's based in any kind of reality. Um, but if I say, you know, I hope to improve my my running speed, well, that's something that I can do through some hard work. So hope is based in reality. It's a confident expectation that that things will get better. It's not the same as a wish. So we want to be careful with our language. So I want to give you a a quick review of last week before we move into this week. Uh, Last week we talked about how hope, uh, how this confident expectation of future good gives us the strength to endure. Uh, We looked at the example of Jesus as well as some of the work of Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor and a psychotherapist. So uh, the author of Hebrews, uh, who tells us about Jesus, writes a lot about hope, uh, told us that the way that we endure, the way that we endure is by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And, And the example of Jesus, writer tells us, for the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, last week I told you that the joy that was set before Jesus was was his hope of resurrection, right? The cross itself was not joyful. There was nothing joyful about being uh, tortured and nailed to a cross and and hung out in shame for all the world to to see. That That wasn't a joyful experience, but it was the joy that was beyond the cross, the his trust in the promise that God would raise him from the dead. It was, it was that expectation of future joy that gave him the strength to endure. Uh, we looked at Viktor Frankl last week, and he told us that it, uh, one of the things he observed while he was a prisoner in the concentration camps was that it was, it was those people who had, a future expecta- who, had, who had a confident expectation of future good that had the strength to endure uh, the, the horrors of the Holocaust. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who uh, died lost hope. You know, there were some people um, who, who died even though they did have hope just because it was, it was that bad. But, but for the ones who did survive, one of the common characteristics was, was this idea, was this, this expectation that things would get better. And for some of them, it was the idea that they would be able to see family members again or they would be able to continue with, with work that was meaningful to them. Uh, and one of the things he said as a, as a psychotherapist, he realized that people who started to lose hope, he had to help them find something to look forward to. But last week I mentioned that there was another dimension to Jesus' joy 
that gave him the strength to endure. It wasn't only the expectation of future good in terms of his resurrection, but that there was an aspect to his suffering itself that gave him future joy. I said that there was um, one of the things that gave Jesus strength to endure was the recognition that there was a purpose to the pain. There was a purpose to the pain. He wasn't suffering for nothing. He knew that what he was enduring was, was going to set people free, was going to accomplish the salvation of the world. And because he knew that there was a purpose to, to his suffering, there was a purpose to the pain, that gave him strength to endure. He, looking forward to the fact that what he was going through was going to open up doors to freedom and forgiveness and healing for other people that, that allowed him to attach a purpose to the pain that allowed him to, to attach a, a meaning to the suffering. And because of that, uh, he was able to endure what he was going through um, in a way that he probably may not have if he didn't have that purpose, if he didn't have that understanding. Uh, so that's a very specific application. Uh, most of us, you know, the suffering that we go through is not going to accomplish salvation for the world. Um, Bit of a joke, right? We're not going to, uh, you know, we're not, we're not the saviors of the world, so we can't expect that our suffering is going to, to cause salvation for all people. But we, we can understand, and here's the principle I want you to remember. Suffering can serve us if we let it. Suffering can serve us if we let it. And I think we, we know this to be true um, even intellectually, right? We, we understand that, that periods of hardship can make us stronger. Right? Periods of hardship can make us stronger. It was um, actually the, uh, the atheist... Um, oh, I'm, I'm having a mind blank here. Uh, Nietzsche. There was the atheist Nietzsche who said, what, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Right? So even atheists understand this principle, that, that things that, that don't kill us, that, but that are hard on us, do end up making us stronger. This is, this is the very principle behind strength training. Right? We, when, when you go to the gym and you, you, know, you pump some iron, what you're doing is you're causing little tears in your muscle. And as those tears heal, you become stronger afterwards. And so this, this principle that suffering can serve us, hardship can make us better, if we let it. If we let it, the thing that we're going through now, the hardship that we're enduring now, whether that's financial, whether that's uh, dealing with a relationship, whether that's our health and a diagnosis, whatever we're going through now actually can prepare us and make us stronger for what's coming next. Can, can help us, uh, you know, the next time suffering comes along. One of the things that we realize even in counseling is that somebody who has been through a difficult situation in the past and survived is better equipped to make it through the next difficult situation. We can draw on past, past strengths. So suffering can serve us if we let it. We can become stronger. We can become better. We can become more determined. We can become more compassionate. Uh, also, suffering allows us to help others later, right? We won't become saviors of the world through our suffering, but what we go through, the hardship that we go through, will allow us then to help somebody in the future who's going through the same thing. Um, I, I've experienced this in my own life. It, when I've gone through difficult times, somehow God has been able to use that in the future to help me walk with somebody else who's going through a difficult situation. 
So what you're going through now in this particular moment, as you learn from it, as you grow from it, I believe there's going to be an opportunity for you later on to, to use this, to, to move forward and, and, to, and to coach somebody and to mentor somebody and to walk beside somebody who's going through the same thing. There's just a, there's a, a neat way about that where, where God allows us to use what we've gone through to help other people. Uh, but he, here's the key. If we let it, right? Suffering doesn't automatically serve us. Hardship doesn't automatically make us better. There's an old proverb that says, uh, the same fire that melts the butter hardens the egg. The same fire that melts the butter hardens the egg. What that means is, is that it's our response to suffering, it's our response to hardship. It's how we frame it and, and how we allow it to shape us. And you probably know this to be true. You've probably met people who have been through a, a hard time and it has turned them into hard and bitter and angry and unforgiving people because of the hardship that they've been through. And you've probably met other people who have been through at least as much hardship, uh, if not more, and it has turned them into wise and compassionate and forgiving people, right, because of the way that they have framed what they've been through. So suffering isn't inherently good for us or, or bad for us. It, it's how we frame it. It's, it's how we choose to approach it. And so in light of that, I want to go back to some things that Viktor Frankl wrote in Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, just as a reminder, this is Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist. He was a Holocaust victim as well as a Holocaust survivor. He made it through, and after he came out, he wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning based on his experiences. And here's how, what he wrote about suffering. He says, people can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom, of independence of mind, even in such terrible conditions of psychic and physical stress, referring to the concentration camps and the Holocaust. People can preserve a vestige of spiritual freedom of independence of mind. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a person but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Everything can be taken from a person but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And there were always choices to make. This is amazing. We're in the Holocaust. Literally everything was taken from you. Your clothes, you were told where to go, when to go, what to wear, when to get up. You, you didn't have, you had no control over your life except, and yet, Frankel says there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom. A man who let himself decline because he could not see any future goal found himself occupied with retrospective thoughts. In a different connection, we have already spoken of the tendency there was to look into the past to help make the present with all its horrors less real. But in robbing the present of its reality, there lay a certain danger. It became easy to overlook the opportunities to make something positive of camp life. Opportunities which really did exist. 
Such people forgot often that it is just such an exceptionally difficult external situation which gives man the opportunity to grow spiritually beyond himself. Varying this, we could say that most men in a concentration camp believed that the real opportunities of life had passed. Yet, in reality, there was an opportunity and a challenge. One could make a victory of those experiences, turning life into an inner triumph, or one could ignore the challenge and simply vegetate, as did a majority of the prisoners. Now, there's so much to unpack in those passages from this book. But what he's saying is that in every moment, in every situation, no matter how bad things seem on the outside, we always have the inner freedom to choose how we will respond in our mind and in our spirit. And he says we can choose in every situation to look at a situation and let it shape us, inform us, and make it a challenge and an opportunity to become stronger and better. And no matter what they take away on the outside, nobody can take away our freedom to choose how we will respond to any given situation. And he says that one of the, one of the biggest enemies to, to letting suffering form us and shape us and build character inside of us is this, is this longing for the past, this wanting to make things the way that they used to be, right? It's this idea that, that things were going to go back to some sort of pre-suffering state that often robbed people of the opportunity to make something of their present situation, even in an environment as horrible as the concentration camps and the Holocaust, Sometimes wanting things to be the way that they were robs us of of present joy because we don't allow our present circumstances to become our new normal and shape us into something new and different and better, even if it's not the same. So wherever we are, whatever we're going through, we we can always look back, right? Uh, I think this this is common to to all of us, right? When when sometimes... um, you know, married couples, when, when they're married and then they have a kid, they want to go back to those pre-married days before having a children where you had more time and you got to sleep, right? <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, I, you know. Um, uh, but, 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 but focusing on that can rob you of, uh, of the present joys of the moment, of raising, you know, the, of, the, of the sweetness and the cuteness of, of infant children and toddlers. And then, and then when children get older, right, and they're going to school and they're, they're old enough to, you know, to start talking back, right? You long for the days when they couldn't talk. And it robs you of the present opportunity to, to, sh- to shape and mold and, and enjoy the moment. And then, you know, the kids grow up and they leave the house and, and now you're back with your, you know, you've got your, your spouse and you're trying to figure out this new normal and an empty nest. And you long for the days when the house was full of, of you know, snotty teenagers who were talking back to you because, you know, you have, you know, you're always looking back instead of acknowledging the new normal and figuring it out. Or, 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 you know, when you, when you get older and you, you long for those days of youth and you don't have as much strength or energy as you used to be able to, and you miss the opportunity to be able to uh, bask in the wisdom that you've earned and, and um, you know, pour into maybe the next generation, looking back can always rob us of present joy and, and allow the present situation. This is true with... Uh, with um, you know, health as well, right? I, I've worked as a hospital chaplain and as a hospice chaplain, and, you know, people who uh, are either in accidents or who have debilitating diseases, um, and, and it robs them of, of, of 
previous way of life. Maybe they can't go back to work anymore. Maybe they lose function in a, in a limb or some sort of bodily function. And the way that different people respond to this, right? Some people let this opportunity shape them and, and, and it becomes a new opportunity to learn something new about themselves, to overcome mentally or spiritually. It opens up new doors, but we have to be willing to see them. One could make a victory of those experiences, turning life into an inner triumph. Every situation, every trial, every hardship, everything that we suffer is an opportunity for us to overcome inwardly, to allow it to shape us, inform us, and to become stronger and better. Suffering can serve us if we let it. This is something that Viktor Frankl experienced firsthand in some of the worst conditions known to man. But he's not the first to think of this. He's not the first to write about this. The Apostle Paul, writing nearly 2,000 years before Viktor Frankl, said something very, very similar in his letter to some Christians living in Rome. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. He says, we glory in our sufferings. This word glory, it means to boast, to take pride in. He says, we boast in our sufferings. We take pride in our sufferings and we think, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I boast in hardship? Why would I glory in suffering? Why would I take pride in difficult, painful, challenging, suffering situations? Why on earth would I do that? Paul tells us. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know... That suffering produces what? Perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces what? Character. And character produces hope. And hope is the anchor of our souls. And hope gives us strength to endure. So Paul says we glory We glory in our sufferings, not because the sufferings themselves are good. Not because we desire the sufferings themselves, but because suffering produces in us perseverance if we let it. This isn't automatic. The same fire that melts the butter hardens the egg. The difference is how we respond to it and how we frame it. So what are you going through right now that is difficult? What are you going through right now that is challenging? Are you experiencing trouble with your health? Are you tight on finances? Are you out of a job? Are you going through a difficult time with a relationship with your kids or your spouse or or your parents or somebody else? This is an opportunity. This is a a, uh, chance to build inner strength to be formed and shaped, to learn how to persevere. And and when we learn how to persevere, it builds character in us. Some of the people that I know that have the greatest, strongest character are people who have been through hell and back. But the way that they responded to it, they allowed it to shape them. They allowed it to form them. Uh, We we know this. We know that uh, gold is purified through fire. Right? Other things are purified through pressure. Heat and pressure are, are what cause diamonds to be made from coal. Our, our, our rough edges 
so to speak, can be smoothed out and shaped and formed through hardship if we let it. This is exactly what Frankel was getting at. But the difference is how we respond to it. The same fire that melts the butter hardens the egg. Will we allow suffering to serve us? Will we allow it to shape us? Will we allow it to to form character inside of us? Or will we fight it and will we resist it and will we resent it? Now this is a principle that I believe is true for Christian or non-Christian alike. Even, like I said, the atheist uh, Nietzsche said that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Everybody realizes that suffering has the potential to shape us and to form us. But as Christians, I believe Christians can take this one step further. Just a little bit later in his letter to the Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'm going to read that again. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now notice what he does not say. Paul does not say that all things are good. Right? Cancer is not good. Right? Financial ruin is not good. Broken relationships are not good. Right? There are lots of things in life that are not good. But what Paul says is that even in these things... In all things, even in the things that are bad, even in the things that hurt, God works for good. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And we believe this to be true. And you may have even experienced this to be true. That you, you, you either in your own life or, or in the life of somebody that you know, somebody who has trusted God and God has somehow taken a situation that should have been just horrible and was horrible in so many different ways and yet has brought something good and beautiful out from it. I've seen this over and over again working as a pastor and as a chaplain in different settings, how even in the most dire of circumstances, for those who love God, God is able to take situations that are just horrible in so many different ways and yet Work them in some way to bring something good and something beautiful out from it. I've seen people who are on their deathbed with, knowing that they're going to die. And yet they are praying that even in their death, that God would be at work. And I've, I've seen families that have had all sorts of strife and division through the death of a believer in their family that death somehow brought them together and helped them to smooth over the differences and realize what was really important. And even in this loss, God was at work to bring something new and something good and something beautiful out from that. I've seen people who have been through horrible situations, through, through abuse and, and divorce and, and, and illness and financial ruin, and I have seen God take these situations and form men and women of character and turn these things around to bring something good and something beautiful out from it. As Christians, we believe that we have a God that even in our mess and even in our suffering can be at work for our good and for the good of others. We can trust that even in our suffering, even in our pain, 
God can be at work to bring something good and something beautiful. And that's often my prayer. When I'm with somebody, you know, I think a lot of times as, as Christians, we, we often pray to escape suffering. We often pray to, to have, have the miracle and, and have the, um, you know, to, to, to pray for another way. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Jesus, when he was in the garden, before he was crucified, he said, Lord, if there is any other way for this to happen, please let that be. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done, right? Paul, when he was afflicted with his thorn in the flesh, he said he prayed to God three times that that, that the thorn might depart from him, right? So he prayed to escape the hardship. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness, So maybe in our prayers, maybe instead of only praying for deliverance and only praying for healing, pray for deliverance, pray for healing, but maybe also pray, God, let me see something good in this. God, if if this is not, if, if healing and deliverance and escape is not your will in this situation for me, then help me to see something good. God, I trust that even in my suffering, you are at work for good. You see, there are some versions of Christianity that teach that if you just have enough faith, brother, then God will heal you from everything. You'll never experience any trouble or any hardship. That is a load of baloney. Jesus and the early apostles told us over and over again that those who follow Jesus will experience suffering. We will experience hardship. Any version of Christianity that tells you that if you just have enough faith, you won't suffer is not Christianity that we find in the New Testament. It's not the teaching of Jesus. It's not the teaching of the apostles. Now, yes, sometimes God will show up. Sometimes God will work miracles. Sometimes God will heal us miraculously. And when he does, praise God, and we thank him for that. And that's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and it's great, and praise God when it happens. But there are other times that he doesn't. And that doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean that you you didn't pray hard enough. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It means that we have a God who in all things is at work for our good. And this is most exemplified in the cross of Jesus Christ. There was nothing inherently good about Roman crucifixion. But God was able to take what was horrible. He was able to use that and work that for the good of the world. Sometimes we experience hardship that we cannot escape. But suffering can serve us if we let it. Suffering can serve us if we let it. Now, a couple of disclaimers, okay? Don't go looking for hardship. You don't have to go searching for suffering to let it shape you, okay? Suffering will find you. Right? Don't, don't, you know, don't go stand in traffic thinking that, you know, God's going to, right? We don't have to go looking for hardship. We don't have to pray for, for, pray for suffering to find us. We will experience it. Just give it some time. All right, don't go looking for it. Uh, the other thing, don't use this as an excuse to not help others who are suffering. Right? There is an aspect of personal responsibility here where we do take ownership of our own hearts and our own minds in the midst of suffering. But it, 
used wrongly that can be turned as a weapon against somebody else. Right? We don't, if somebody is going through suffering, our, our job is to be there with them and to help them in any way that we can. We don't, you know, our, my job isn't, you know, if you're, if you're at the hospital and you call me and ask me to pray for your healing, I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to pray for your healing. You should, you know, look for something. Or if you come to me and you're hungry, right, and, and I say, well, let this hunger, you know, shape you and form you. No, my job is to, you know, give you a sandwich or, or at least, you know, help you do something. We don't, we don't want to use this as an excuse to, to not help people who are in need, uh, personal responsibility mantra can be used for that. So for, so for me, I take this as a challenge to personal responsibility that no matter my situation, I am in control of my thinking. Nothing can rob from me my ability to choose. But for you, I do whatever I can to help alleviate your suffering and be there with you and, and help you through that. So the bottom line, suffering can serve us if we let it. When we find ourselves facing hardship, we can choose to see it as an opportunity to grow our character positioning us to to help others later, knowing in all things that God is working for our good. Suffering can serve us if we let it. In two weeks, I'm going to close out this series. I want you to come back for that, because in two weeks I'm going to explain to you why I believe that Christianity offers a version of hope that is beyond compare offers a form of hope that gives us a stronger anchor than anything else in the world. Now, if you're not a Christian, this principle works for you. Hope will give you strength to endure. You can still choose to let suffering shape you and and give you perseverance and character. That's true whether you're a believer or not. But I really believe, and I'm going to talk about this in two weeks, that Christianity offers a version of hope beyond compare, a version of hope beyond this life alone, something that can anchor us. We're going to talk about some examples of people who, who, because of this hope, have done incredible, extraordinary things. So come back in two weeks as we close out holding on for hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this principle. We thank you for this, this undeniable truth that no one can take away from us our ability to choose our freedom to respond inwardly to any situation. We thank you for this truth that suffering can serve us if we let it. Lord, we thank you for your promise that you are at work for our good in all things as we love you. So, Father, I don't know what everybody in this room is going through, but I know that at some point we are all going to experience suffering. I pray that you would give us strength, that you would help us to see the good in it, that you would help us to experience your good in one form or another. Father, I pray that you would help us to be tender enough to respond to hardship in a way that strengthens us and builds character within us. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to anchor ourselves to the hope that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.